Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Judd Tolley, editor-at-large of Art and Auction, and you can also check out a lot of his work on his website, www.juddtolley.net. He's here with us to recap last week's major auctions in New York City. Judd, did you survive the auction season? Um, barely, Adam, barely. But uh, yeah, I'm still standing, more or less. Good, glad to hear it. So. Yeah. First off, one of the biggest storylines of the week was Sotheby's and their guarantee of the Taubman estate. What were you hearing about this before the sale actually occurred? And what are you hearing afterwards in terms of how the guarantee will end up looking when things are all said and done and all the property's been sold? Yes, well, there was certainly quite a bit of press about, because public, um, Sotheby's is publicly traded, so anything that could affect their business, they're um, required by the SEC to put out these, you know, kind of bulletins. Uh, I think they're referred to as 10Ks. And so it was publicly announced by Sotheby's that they had guaranteed um, the property from the Alfred Taubman estate. Of course, Alfred Taubman being the former owner of Sotheby's who acquired the company uh, with some other investors in um, 1983, I believe, uh, for maybe 120 odd million dollars, when Sotheby's, a public, um, uh, a privately owned company in London, was uh, really on its knees. Um, in any event, uh, in order to gain the uh, opportunity to sell the work, they made a deal with the Taubman heirs. Uh, to the tune of what was then uh, described as a $500 million guarantee, meaning the family would get that amount no matter what transpired. And so the talk before the sale was primarily about that gargantuan, unprecedented number, a half billion dollars, and also the reason apparently why that number grew so high was that Christie's was also competing for the Taubman work, which seems a bit ironic given, you know, the competition between the two. But apparently Taubman, uh, before his death, uh, had said he, he, it should just go to the, um, you know, the best deal. Uh, so anyway, so let's jump forward to uh, the actual outcome which were two rather huge sales, the single owner masterworks, and then followed by um, a day sale of other works. And so far, it's not over yet, but Sotheby's has sold and uh, around $420 million worth of art, with other art from Taubman coming up, including... Um, uh, very soon, American painting sale, et cetera, et cetera. But the big news, or not news per se, but question mark, is will Sotheby's really recover that $515 million uh, amount, which is what the official figure is. And according to Sotheby's, and again, unlike Christie's, which is privately held, Sotheby's is has to make these announcements about, you know, what they're really doing because it's publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, so they're not 
anticipating making that 515 million mark until some future quarter of 2016. In other words, they're still going to be behind. Um, they won't get to that number or beyond that, um, their expectations uh, until, you know, maybe the first quarter, which would be, I suppose, the spring of 2016. And, you know, some of that, um, some of that information has certainly impacted their stock, which has been hammered by all of this sort of hotly, you know, anticipated expectation. And I just want to just add one thing in my opinion about this material. They've done spectacularly well in the sense that Taubman, when he owned Sotheby's, was sort of the go-to man, and this is widely known or maybe not widely known, but you know, whenever they had trouble in a sale with a particular lot, they could call on Alfred Taubman, and he would usually be the buyer of these works. So a lot of the works that came out of Taubman were works that the market in general at that moment in time when they were offered had not, you know, weren't really, it wasn't attracting any interest. So given that, um, you know, overall it did, you know, tremendously well. I'm not talking about the, you know, the guarantee or that huge number, but in terms of the actual works that have come up so far, they've done really well. Post-war and contemporary art really took the driver's seat these past few years, especially during these sales seasons. This time around, it looks like the Impressionist modern sector closed the gap a bit. Is the narrowing of this gap this season a statement more about post-war contemporary their mark, that market, or the impressionists in modern markets. Um, what was the talk around the fact that the gap uh, narrowed this year compared to past seasons? Well, I mean that you know, it, there's truth on both uh, sides. I would just point out that there's been a marked change in that landscape because basically Christie's has abandoned the traditional impressionist modern week in terms of scheduling its sales. And so this season, instead of going alongside Sotheby's Impressionist and Modern Sale, which, by the way, crushed uh, Christie's um, uh, Impressionist and Modern Sale, uh, Christie's put their sale at the end of that crowded week of post-war and contemporary art. And, you know, depending on how you define it, you know, it just goes by the material. So, um, although it wasn't offered in a quote-unquote impressionist modern sale, Christie's one-off and, as they say, curated the artist muse sale that was that um, a week ago Monday sale at Christie's that made overall. Uh, $480 million. Uh, a sizable chunk of that was a work by Amadeo Medigliani that sold for $170 million. That was a record, certainly for the artist, and I think it was the second highest work ever sold at auction. But bear in mind that that work was offered in this special, highly marketed sale called The Artist's Muse. And 
it would be, in my opinion, unlikely that Christie's could have pulled in that painting for sale if it was going to be in their Impressionist modern sale. I mean, that said, the numbers were uh, very strong. Um, Sotheby's did um, just over $306 million for its Impressionist modern sale. Christie's was uh, much lower, about 145.5. These are just tumbling numbers out, right? Um, but in any event, <clears throat> I would say that um, when something great comes up, for instance, Poster Child, Medigliani, you just don't know where this number is going to go. They were anticipating it certainly somewhere over the $100 million mark, and the fact that it went to a private um, Chinese museum based in Shanghai. And <clears throat> I mean, the good news there is that this painting will be um, presumably on public view. But um, I would still say that post-war contemporary remains firmly in the driver's seat. And it seems, at least from Christie's vantage point, that they are kind of uh, diminishing, it would seem, the role of Impressionist modern. Sotheby's so far hasn't really drifted away from that. They did their standalone sales and they had the Taubman, which was, <coughs> excuse me, um, the Taubman night uh, was a combination of both Impressionist modern and contemporary. And Taubman had had a uh, Medigliani as well, but that, um, you know, uh, portrait, beautiful, <coughs> excuse me, seated portrait of, um, uh, of a woman went for, you know, was um, way below the 170 million mark. Um, so it's, you know, it's interesting. It, it, it still goes, um, so the two highest works, if you look at it, you have the Medigliani on one hand that went for 170, and then you have Roy Lichtenstein's 1963 or 64 uh, work <coughs> called uh, The Nurse that sold for a record $95 million. So, you know, it just depends how you kind of slice all of these different, variables about rarity, beauty, market demand, things that are in fashion, things that aren't in fashion. Right after the sales, there were reports of Sotheby's offering voluntary buyouts to employees. I believe I read it was actually decided that they would do this even before the sales actually occurred. Uh, what does this really indicate about sales totals and what they mean to the art market versus the actual auction houses? I mean, for the auction houses, it comes down to, well, it should come down to the bottom line. It's a business, so you have profit and loss. But uh, in terms of the Christie's dynamic being privately owned, and for a number of years now, the drive has been for market share with less concern for return. And so one never knows really what, Christie's is bottom line making, whereas it's, you know, black and white, totally clear for Sotheby's. I think one of the downsides of being a public company 
while it's more transparent, you've got a new CEO with tremendous pressure uh, to perform uh, to show that you know this new regime post William Ruprecht, who was in the driver's seat there for you know a decade and a half, um, to show you know improvement. And you know that's pretty difficult when you're fighting battles and being forced or pressured to offer guarantees. So I think one of the ways corporations typically improve their bottom line if they're not doing that well, which Sotheby's is not in terms of their bottom line, is that you know you trim you trim the manpower. So this um, email apparently that went out on Friday to all of the employees worldwide—that's my understanding—offering. Um, you know, I guess you could call it a buyout or um, they have a great term. Um, I believe it's called enhanced compensation, uh, which is kind of a play on that word of an enhanced hammer, where, which is known in the trade when you're, if you have a valuable work of art, the house will actually offer the seller a piece of the buyer's premium, which also cuts back on their profit. So now, you know, Sotheby's wants to trim its sales and um, not auction sales, but sales like in a ship um, to, you know, make it leaner, which is difficult to do because, you know, it's such a, you know, dealing with the super wealthy of the world who have the great artworks, how you can, you know, pry them out for sale. It's a big problem. But I think Smith, who has you know corporate CEO type experience, you know knows the game and that everyone's watching him. The stock is doing poorly. Um, he didn't beat uh, Christie's. Not that he was really expected. Not he, but the house was not really expected to. Um, you know, it's it's uh, difficult uh, times, and um, I think there's going to be some painful layoffs. Uh, for those people who do not choose to, for whatever reason, no matter what their seniority is, to opt out for a, you know, early retirement or however you want to put it. Um, <clears throat> looking at things more closely, specifically looking at the sales more closely, was there a takeaway from these sales in terms of what collectors are willing to pay for at this moment and what they aren't willing to pay for? Well, I think what's interesting, and, and that's a good question, is that you had the perception in the last several seasons uh, that the auction houses were really dictating the levels, were dictating the estimates, and that the you know quote-unquote buyer's pool or art market was kind of following what the auction houses were dictating. <clears throat> And this round, interestingly, there was less of that, and it was more of buyers saying, no, I'm not going quite that high, I'm going to X. And that was evident with not only the number of buy-ins, that means when you know a work didn't sell, that both houses and 
let's also include Phillips, experience that they were not able to get, um, <coughs> excuse me, were not able to get the prices they anticipated. And so they, if they had the chance, they were able to forewarn the sellers that the reserves would need to be dropped before the sale if they expected their work to sell. And when I say reserve, that just means the price point that the seller agrees to before him that the work could sell for. So, um, and this is also a bit difficult to analyze uh, because there's so much uh, activity deal-making before the sales actually take place of financial guarantees uh, being offered to sellers, whether it's directly from the auction houses or with in combination with third parties. So it's it's a bit murky. It's not transparent. It's you know a bit difficult to read. But that said, um, <clears throat> if you cultivate all these numbers and look at them, um, you kind of scratch your head and going, it doesn't look very profitable for. Um, you know, for any of these houses and a number of these sales because they're all, you know, trying to make deals and uh, it's a sophisticated market. Oh, one more point just about your question about, you know, the way things are panning out. Um, There's not a correction as yet in the market. In other words, there wasn't, you know, like was evidenced in the fall of uh, 2008, you know, like, a, you know, a big, big correction. But I think it shows that, you know, that could be on the horizon if the auction houses, you know, fail to present a more realistic picture. And I think there's some, both the trade and collectors that are kind of tired of the sort of overwrought Uber marketed sales that are just, you know, trying to get a big price for, you know, whatever is being offered. And if you could pick out for us a couple of artists who had really great weeks, their markets did, uh, and maybe an artist or two who didn't perform at auction as well as uh, people had expected. Ah, yes. Well, that's always, I mean, it's interesting. There was so much going on. Um, Well, one high performer was certainly Cy Twombly, who had that record 70.5 million result at Sotheby's with that beautiful blackboard painting from 1968. Um, you could also say the same for um, Lucio Fontana uh, uh, on the plus side, certainly Roy Lichtenstein. Um, but and now we're just in that post-war um, contemporary side. There seem to be a number of hiccups regarding the work of Andy Warhol who has been the, you know, I mean, there's no other market, you know, apart from Picasso's that's 
you know, is so vast. But there seemed to be some resistance, and I think that was mostly due to just the, um, you know, overwrought estimates. They just were not in line with reality. And um, he suffered in that sense that, I mean, suffered, um, I mean, you know, figuratively speaking, um, with some, you know, rather impressive buy-ins. And Warhol's rarely, you know, fail to sell. Um, and looking over to um, Impressionist modern art in terms of anyone that was, you know, strong or weak, um, the strong guys, the uh, rename, the Magritte, surrealism, uh, Picasso in a sense, but you know, um, it's interesting in terms of market taste, which dictates all this stuff, that Christie's in their Impressionist Modern sale, the highest price they got that night was 10, just over like 10.4 million, including premium, for a 1911-1912 Picasso Cubist still life. And that, you know, most people would consider that era to be, you know, certainly incredibly important. And, um, you know, it, it was, uh, didn't go very far. And I think you could almost say the same for less excitement about Paul Cezanne. And I think that, again, is about relating more to taste than anything else. Um, a number of works... Um, Surprisingly, it seems um, an, a early prime period Jean-Michel Basquiat from 1982 didn't sell at Sotheby's. And again, that's probably not so much because it was a bad year. It was a great year for Basquiat, but I think it was just the overreaching of the seller's expectation of what it would bring. And I think that is what a lot of people are going to be looking at. Another, I mean, like star in the contemporary world would have been the uh, record price achieved for uh, that Frank Stella painting that was sold in the Taubman evening sale. It was a... Um, a great, uh, uh, it's from the Benjamin Moore painting series, uh, a large work from the, I believe, the early 70s, in great condition and pretty fantastic in a work that Taubman, I believe, bought from a, not from auction, but from a private dealer very early on. So hats off to him on that score. And, um, that's you know a couple a couple of examples of what was going on. Judd, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and recapping the auction season. We always love having you on and hearing your insights and observations. And of course, our listeners can check out all of your writing at Art and Auction, and you also have your website as well, JuddToley.net, with some great content there. Judd, we appreciate having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>